Hello there and welcome to Fill Me Up. I'm Steve Walker and this is the show to help fuel your film discussions. Uh, it's been a few weeks. I've been uh, taking a bit of time off. It kind of all got on top of me a little bit and uh, sometimes you just need to to just take a, take a bit of time off to take care of yourself and that's what I've been doing. Um, but we're back. Um, we're up to set you on alpha set. So without further ado, I mean, there's probably some news or whatever, but I mean, it's films have come out. Films haven't come out. I mean, it's a thing. I did watch Bill and Ted. I watched all the Bill and Ted's the other week. That was a thing I was going to talk about. They're fine. They are, they start off well and then they get worse as they go on in terms of quality. First one's the best one and the third one is not as good. But anyway, let's, let's, you know what, well, let's just get straight into it. We're going to go straight to Alpha Set. So Alpha Set is the section of the show where I look at three films that I have never seen before in my entire life. Uh, and they're all films that begin with the letter of the alphabet. And as mentioned, we are up to Set U. Um, and so the first film of this week is ugly dolls um so this is about some rejected dolls who form their own town but when some of them decide to venture out to see the big world they are confronted by other dolls and the university of perfection um it came out last year 2019 had a 45 million dollar budget and it made 32 million so no good no it doesn't matter which way you look at it it's no good um it's not done too well in terms of ratings either. It's got a five dead five point zero on IMDb. Rotten Tomatoes give it a twenty seven percent, which is no good at all. I give it a six out of ten. I thought it's fine. It is kind of predictable though. It's just a bit kind of generic and a bit stale, I guess. It's it seems like a bit of an outdated premise, if I'm honest. The ugly dolls are trying to be perfect, and then they realise that imperfections a good thing. But like, as soon as you hear the title, you can kind of predict the way that the film's going to go. It's and like it doesn't subvert any expectations in that way. It's just a bit kind of by the numbers in a way. Um, it's written by Robert Rodriguez, who um, you may know from a number of different things, but he goes. He's gone from like directing the cyberpunk action film Elite Battle Angel to making fun and campy spy kids to making the ultraviolet machetes to this. So, I mean, he it's weird, in a way, to see his name attached to this, but in another way, it's not that weird to see his name attached to this, because he's just a bit of an oddball and does whatever he wants. I think he's involved in the Mandalorian series now. He just kind of does whatever, but and bounces back and forth from, like, the kind of adult-orientated, well, more, I don't know, more action-packed things to this sort of thing, I guess. Um, but the cast are mainly music stars, so you've got Kelly Clarkson, Nick Jonas, Blake Shelton, Janelle Monet, and Pitbull. Um, and so this means it's kind of more of a musical film than most animated films. I mean, it's pretty, it's an interesting move. I don't mind it, having it, being it like an, a musical. But I guess Trolls kind of came along and did that first, and then they've done a sequel. I mean, and the songs aren't bad. And like there is a there are a couple that are actually pretty good and I do like them, but I just feel they would have been better in a better film, you know, because it's it's not a great film. Like none of the characters are particularly 
engaging. They're all kind of the just two-dimensional personalities that you'd expect. And the only standout was Janelle Monet's character, who's like she's at the University of Perfection, but she needs glasses, so she's not perfect because she needs glasses. Um, I I think that's what they're getting at. Um, and she takes a liking to the ugly dolls. But yeah, it just seems to have like this very narrow focus, like because the start shows like numerous production lines of different dolls being made at like, this factory or whatever. But we only see the rejects, like these ugly dolls, and then the human-looking perfection dolls. But like, where's everything else? Like, where's where's the weird like duck dolls and where's this and like I wanted a proper adventure where they went through all sorts of different things and like decided that and like. You, you didn't just get it from that one kind of perspective of the human looking dolls you wanted like other ones as well like well let's see some duck dolls let's see some i don't know let's see some dragons let's see some ponies i don't know whatever things just different things and monsters whatever and then they finally find their place i don't know but it just seems a waste to focus on the university because it especially because it's not very interesting to be in with like it's just ah, it's just not that great um I did like some of the design work though, like the patchwork look of Uglyville, which was their little town, was kind of charming, and like the Battenberg look of the buildings were quite a nice touch, and it's kind of a bit quirky, and it all, all makes it seem like a fun and happy place, which makes it a bit confusing, like why would you want to leave, because out of everything that I've seen in this film, like that seemed to be the nicest place, and like at the start of the film, they're like, oh yeah, this is great, and then they come back to it late, and they're like, oh, this is rubbish, and it's like, what? Like, it's exactly the same place, nothing's changed. Um... But, yeah, I mean, whatever. Take of that what you will. But, you know what? Let's get on to some little facts. They may be fun. They may not be fun. Let's see. So, Ugly Dolls are actually a brand of cuddly toy in the US. So, I thought they were made just for this. But they're actually a brand of toy. Uh, and they've been featured in films before, such as Zathura, um, which is the, the, the Space Jumanji film. Um, Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium, Enchanted, and The Smurfs. So I did not know that at all. Um, I guess people in the US, you may know, you may have had cuddly, ugly dolls. I was going to say cuddly dolls. Ugly dolls. Cuddly, ugly dolls. Um, but yeah, I'd never, I'd never knew. I would never have known. Um, but yeah, it's the also the first film made for STX Entertainment's Family and Animation Division. Um, which I feel probably would be the same thing. I guess unless they do, I guess they might do a live action thing. Who knows? Um, and they would also go on to release Playmobil the movie in 2019 that also tanked and featured music stars. So Adam Lambert, the guy who's like touring around with Queen now, and Megan Trainer were in Playmobil the movie. I, I didn't even see. I, well, I knew it was a thing that was happening. But I didn't know it had been in the cinemas or it gone or whatever. It just, I guess it, they were cashing in on the Lego movie thing. But then the Lego movie 2 came out and people, I think people got a bit kind of fed up of lots of Lego movie things. Like seeing like four different Lego films in like the space of five years. I think it's a bit too much for people. And then you put a Playmobil film out there and people are like, yep, that's a thing. Is it? I don't know. It, apparently it was it was because i never because that's what everyone's saying they're like is it a thing it's it's a thing that's coming out and they're like no no it's already been out and it's gone 
oh, I didn't even know that's what happened to that. Um, but yeah, it's, like I say, not a great film, all told. The music's all right, but I just feel a better story with kind of more exploration and more adventure would have been more fun rather than just be like, yep, they're going to this one place. Great. Smashing. That's just what you want from like an adventure film, isn't it? Nope. Not at all. Anyway, film numero two. Um, this is Underwater. And it's about a small group of survivors of a drill rig disaster uh, at the bottom of the Mari- Mariana Trench. I always want to say Marinara Trench, which is something completely different. Um, who tried to stay alive and make it to safety while questioning the cause of the disaster. A Marinara Trench, imagine that. That would be... Um, uh, yeah, that'd be get some meatballs in there. Mate, you can make a load of Subway subs out of that. Anyway, uh, it came out in 2020, so it came out this year, this very, very year. Um, uh, it made it had an 80 million dollar budget and it only made 40 million. So, again, whichever way you look at it, it's no good. Um, and it actually came out before lockdown. So you can't even blame it on that because it came out in like January, February. So I guess people were going less and I guess some places were a bit like, mm, I don't want to, but I mean, it's whatever. It's not good, really. Uh, it's got a 5.8 on IMDb and a 47% on Rotten Tomatoes. Fairly middling to not good. I thought it was all right, though. I gave it a 7 out of 10. It's nice looking if it is a pretty, it's kind of generic, but it is nice looking, and it was interesting in parts. Um, but let me let me uh, start off by saying you've definitely seen this film before. I mean, not this exact film, but you've seen this film before in terms of story. It's it's cut and paste from various other things. It's that horror that's quite claustrophobic. You get glimpses of whatever horror it is. It's got and you got this bigger reveal towards the end. It's got a lot of nods to Alien, like some of the shots are like really similar to it. Like you could almost put them side by side and go, oh yeah, that's that's that bit from Alien. I even watched it and was like, yep, I remember that bit. Um, but I do think it's got an interesting enough setting and it's got a decent group of characters that keeps you engaged. So like a, like, like it's not, it, there's nothing particularly original about this and there's nothing particularly amazing about this in terms of kind of story writing and whatever but i think the thing that makes it entertaining and engaging is whether you get a good cast of characters and the setting and and i guess the horror itself and it's all i think that's all pretty well done the main star is Kristen stewart who actually does a good job in the film like people always talk about her being no good from like twilight and stuff but I think she she's done a bit of a Robert Pattinson in terms of taking different roles and distancing herself from the Twilight franchise. Um, and like it worked for Robert Pattinson, he's now Batman. So I mean, like, it, there's nothing to say it couldn't work for Christian Stewart. And I think she did all right in this. She even shaved and bleached her hair for this. I mean, how different do you need to be? I mean, it's, it's it is what it is, isn't it? But um. And she wears some glasses, though she only wears them at the start because she loses them, which I guess means that the whole film she's like, I can't see, where's my glasses? So, I, I, whatever. Um, there's also some other good performances from Vincent Cassell, who's the uh, French guy from Black Swan that you may have heard of. Uh, Jessica Hennick, who's in Iron Fist 
the TV show and Game of Thrones. Um, and TJ Miller, who's also in Deadpool and Silicon Valley. Uh, they're the people that I recognised anyway. Um, it does kind of throw you straight in. Like, it foregoes the usual setups of, like, what's a regular day in the life of these people in this drill rig or whatever. It's just like, yep, this this person's putting some shoes on and bang, disaster, we're going. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yes, like I say, it foregoes all that. And you basically go in, here's the disaster, we're throwing them in, and immediately they're all moist, they're all dirty, disaster things are happening. Um, but the cast do a good job kind of portraying their chemistry and mentioning backstory kind of throughout the film, and it kind of fleshes out the characters a little bit. So I feel like the film does a good enough job at being able to set up those sort of like, here's these characters' relationships and here's what they would normally doing, be doing. Um, and here's why they're here without actually doing that at the start and having this sort of like 15 minute chunk of just kind of exposition and setup and whatever. Um, and like, I, I mean, they're, they're not like hugely fleshed out characters, but it's enough for a film of this sort of like caliber and if it's this type and genre anyway. Like, you don't need to know huge amounts of these people. Uh, because uh, it's it's horrory things and horrory and disastery things are happening. Um, I will say, even though I've said it, it, even though I've mentioned the word horror a number of times, it's not that scary. Uh, it relies on jump scares a little too much, I guess. Um, but when stuff does get going, it is pretty good. And the end, the end is something else. I'm not going to tell you, but it definitely ups the ante. And I would, like, I don't know whether this is a spoiler or not, but I was a bit disappointed that there wasn't, like, a parasitic infection or something that turns one of the crew into a zombie or something with pale skin and conjunctivitis and they go, bleh, or whatever. Like, I thought that might add an extra element because there are little, like, points where it does kind of slow down a fair bit and, like, the horror is good, but I just feel the big stuff that kind of comes in, like, at the end, it only comes in at like pff, the last quarter of an hour, 20 minutes. And I feel like put that in like halfway in the film, like get that stuff going. Um, I just feel it would have been a better move, really. Though I can sort of understand it because you've only got a limited budget, and especially because it's all kind of underwater and stuff. So there's a lot of like production design and stuff that and CGI that will have to go into that, I guess. Um, story wise, I will. Like, I saw a few comments saying that there wasn't a lot of explanation for what's going on, but... And apparently there's a deleted scene that goes into a bit more, but... I think, like, Quarantine, if you think back to set Q that I did, um, that fan footage film, there's enough there in on camera and stuff to piece it together. And, to be fair, this is more about a film of survival and escape rather than kind of understanding what's going on and trying to solve it and combat it. You're just kind of escaping and surviving. And, like, if you look closely, like, and pay attention, the opening and closing credits do kind of show article clippings and headlines that suggest that the company actually in charge of... Um, I've put of the wreck. I mean of the rig. Why did I put the wreck? If um, the wreck and the rig uh, have denied knowledge according to affidavits that despite them clearly knowing something like they definitely know something about it but they're going nope we know nothing um 
throughout the film, the th- the, 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 the cinematography is pretty darn good. Uh, there's a lot of establishing shots of murky waters, and so it's understandably kind of a bit blurry, but there are a number of excellent uses of slow motion and kind of creative lighting make for some amazing shots that wouldn't be out of place as someone's like desktop wallpaper. Like, it's they're, they're really good to look at. Um, but you know what? Let's get on to some facts. We always love a bit of facts at the end. Um, the suits that are worn in the film that wouldn't look out of place in a Gears of War film. Like, if if you're aware of the Gears of War franchise, the Xbox uh, games, video games, they wear these, like, they're, they're these big, massive guys, and they wear these big, hulking suits, and they look pretty similar. Um, they were apparent, and they were massive, and apparently they were 63 kilograms, and airtight so they're having to walk around with 63 kilograms which is practically like the size of a person for some of these people um and and it's also airtight which means that the directing was really hard because the cast can't really hear instructions because it's airtight so obviously you're not going to sound into it um but i mean 63 kilos is quite a bit of a hefty weight to be walking around with um you definitely be getting a nice workout on that um uh so also uh tj miller's character uh paul i think his name was uh has a stuffed bunny throughout the film um but it was actually written to be a live rabbit bunny rabbit um and some scenes were actually shot with a live bunny um but they were taken out um though miller thought that all the scenes where there was a stuffed bunny they were gonna like cgi in an actual live bunny so, like, he's treating it, like, as if it's, like, a proper live bunny, and he's, like, stroking it, whatever. But they never actually put the real rabbit in. And so his character either just seems really psychopathic or really sweet. I mean, whichever side you fall on, it's whichever you want. I mean, I kind of, I don't know. I kind of like it both. I kind of like the idea that it could be very psychopathic or it could just be sweet. It's quite fun. Um, also interestingly, this, interestingly, uh, this was the final film to use the 20th Century Fox banner after Disney's takeover, uh, last year, and, um, and when they did that, they changed the 20th Century Fox banner to 20th Century Studios, um, it's also the first film to use the 2020 MPA logo after the MPAA, the Motion Pictures Association of America, uh, unified with other similar organizations around the world and just formed the Motion Picture Association, which I thought was nice and fun. Um, overall, it's a pretty decent sci-fi actioner. It, despite it being unoriginal, it's still entertaining and goes surprisingly bonkers at the end. I'd say this film is worth it just for the end, but like I say, I would have enjoyed having some of that stuff in the film earlier so you'd see more of it, but it's understandable uh let's go on to the final film of this set and that is unforgiven uh and this is about an old whittler whittler what is a whittler do they whittle it's like a whittler but they whittle things i don't know anyway uh, an old widower is lured back into his old gunslinging ways after a woman gets cut up. But is he the notorious killer of old? Um, it came out in 1992, which, let's face it, is the greatest year on in history 
full stop. But 1992, that is when perfection happened. 1992. Because um, uh, greatness was brought into this world. Anyway, uh, it had a $40 million budget and it made $160 million. So whichever way you look at it, this did some very good business. I keep saying whichever way you look at it because um, you normally double the budget but to account for marketing and stuff, but it makes no difference in any of the cases that we've had today. Um, this is by far the best rated film of this week. Um, it's got an 8.2 on IMDb, a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, near perfect. Uh, I give it an 8 out of 10. It's an atypical Western uh, wearing typical Western clothing. Um, so it's got the king of Westerns, the guns... I don't know, I was going to try and think of some other things. Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood is who I'm on about. Clint Eastwood, he, he directed it and he starred in it after being a prominent figure of the Western genre for over 20 years. Um, and because of that, he's a great choice because it it's such a... It's a typical role that you would see him in, but it's also more grounded and it kind of... It, it turns things on its head. It takes this retired outlaw who's been out of the game for 10 years plus and asks, is he the same person? Uh, in short, no. No, no, he's not. He's not. Uh, normally, there would be. Normally, would be like, yeah, I, I'm going to... you dragging me back in and I will just go around and I'll shoot some people and I'll round them up and I'll I'll be doing all the western things. But this time, he's like, no, I can't even get on a horse. I'm that bad. Um, it makes a lot of references to his wife and kind of how she's helped him give up drinking and kind of left, helped him leave the, his former life behind him. Like a lot of westerns would suggest that being an outlaw is just kind of like riding a bike. Like I said, you just hop back on and you can go right um right over and and do uh, do whatever you want, do some bang bang shooty things. Um, but the bikes of that day, uh, and when I say of that day, I mean not of nineteen ninety two. I mean of 1800s 1880 1890 when these films were when this film was set i think it does have a date i think i can't remember what it was um but the bikes of that day were not the bikes of nowadays but they were penny farthings and i'll tell you what it's not that easy to get on a penny farthing so he may he may struggle to get back onto that especially if he's old and it means that he will also struggle to get back on his horse um because he keeps falling off it or just falling over trying to get off it. Um, I'll tell you what, it was a nice surprise in this film. Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman's in this film, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I wasn't expecting him in a Western, but he plays the role well. Uh, he's got some real chemistry with Eastwood that makes their relationship believable, and his demeanour and arc is, is just great throughout. He seems to have not had the same sort of retirement experience as Eastwood because he's, he's got a bit more confidence in his ability, but there is also uh, a bit of him like going... I'm not sure if I can do this anymore. Um, the guy that hires them um, is also an interesting character. Um, he's got this kind of a lot of bravado that you get in like westerns, going like, "Oh, I can, I can do all these things." But you later find out some of his own issues that are unexpected for a western. Like you don't get to see the real life toll that killing people has on a person um, normally, but you do in this, and it was, it was good. I like the way that they did it. It's very grounded. People had actual, like, issues that you're like, oh, yeah, people would have had that sort of issue in real life. 
Um, and it just makes sense. A lot of it makes sense. Um, Gene Hackman plays the sheriff of a town not dissimilar to his role in The Quick and the Dead that I watched uh, a number of weeks ago as well. Uh, he enforces a no firearms rule quite brutally, uh, which is also an interesting wrinkle um, that I guess makes sense for the time as well, because you're like, everyone's got a gun. Like, we'll just say, you're not allowed to look a gun, because um, people shoot at the people otherwise. Um, but again, it's not something that you see in Westerns, which I quite liked. Um, the whole film, you're not really sure whether you like the sheriff or not. Like, you see him confront some would-be assassins and just beat the crap out of them, which, again, is a good thing, but, I mean, he's beating the crap out of them. Like, I mean, you don't need to go that far. You just need to go, nope, see you later. Um, and that's kind of the thing about this film. Like, everyone's a bit more grounded. There's a lot of grey. It's not black and white. You Like, you understand the characters, like, more than you normally would. They're a bit more fleshed out. There's more nuance to them. Um, and you sort of have everyone's side a little bit. Like, it makes for an interesting watch and gives you this deeper sense of immersion into the story because it's not just good guy versus bad guy. You've got that grey gray area in the middle. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'd, I'd recommend it. Um, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, but, you know what? Let's do some facts. Uh, after going years without winning an Oscar, uh, Clint Eastwood won two with this film. One for Best picture and one for best director a feat which he would repeat with 2004's million dollar baby that also had morgan freeman in there so he's obviously his lucky charm um he's part of an exclusive club of actors and directors who've won an oscar for directing but not for acting uh, and that includes woody allen woody allen robert redford richard attenborough kevin costner and mel gibson um, so good directors, not so good actors. Uh, the script had been floating around Hollywood since the mid seventies. So this was made in 1992. It'd been floating around since the mid seventies when Francis Ford Coppola, uh, who, uh, did the Godfather films, Godfather one and two, uh, he was attached. But when Clint Eastwood got the rights, he waited until he felt he was at the right age and right time in his career. That being the end of his Western career. As to date, he hasn't actually appeared in a Western since, which I quite liked. Um, but yeah, imagine, imagine that. This film's been like, you've written the script for this, and then like 20 years later, it finally gets made. It's crazy. Um, Clint Eastwood actually wore the same boots that he wore in a number of other Western films that he'd been in, such as A Fistful of Dollars, A Few Dollars More, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Um, not The Ugly Dolls, just The Ugly. Uh, but he also wore them in the TV show Rawhide, which started in 1959, meaning that the boots bookended his time in the Western genre, because that was the first thing he did in the Western genre, and the last, and uh, and this was the last thing that he did in the Western genre, which is very interesting, and uh, I liked it. I bet you, it, do you reckon he still got those boots, or do you reckon they're going to go on like a mute, they're going up for auction, and people are like, I will pay 70 million for them. I want Clint Eastwood's boots. I don't know why I want to smell them. Why would you smell them? I don't know. I want to put a snake in them. So then I can go, there's a snake in my boot. Anyway, uh, it's a very good subversion of a typical Western and a fitting send-off for such a stalwart of the genre. Um, it's good stuff. Probably the best film of this week. Uh, they definitely get progressively better. 
uh, Ugly Dolls Underwater Unforgiven. So, good stuff. Uh, so now we're on to the next section of the show, uh, where we talk about a film that wasn't made. Um, as you will guess from the title of... Well, you're not really going to guess, as you know from the title... We're talking about Alexander the Great, and I know what you're thinking. Didn't they make an Alexander film in 2004? Yes, they did. Yes, yes, but it's not this one. That's not what we're talking about. Anyway, let's, you know what, let's let's dive straight into this, and I'll let you know, and you'll find out what I'm talking about. Uh, Hollywood seemingly has an obsession with making and releasing very similar films at the same time. Uh, so you've got Armageddon, Deep Impact, Olympus Has Fallen and White House Down, A Bug's Life and Ants, Dante's Peak and Volcano. The list goes on. Uh, and we nearly had another battle to see which Alexander the Great film was truly the greatest. Um, it's 1990-something. Uh, the Usual Suspects has been a hit. Uh, so it's late 90s. Uh, and it's writer for writer for, and it's writer for, it's writer Christopher McQuarrie is on a high. Uh, he decides to try something different, and together with Peter Buckman, um, a guy who will go on to write Jurassic Park three, which is arguably the worst Jurassic Park film, but they're all okay apart from like the first one, uh, Aragon, which is not that good, and the Che films about Che Guevara, which I've never seen. Um, Together, they decide to plump to write a script based on the great man himself, Alexander. Uh, To fully encapsulate the life and times of a man who built an empire that stretched from Greece to India is no small feat and would definitely class as an historical epic. Uh, This meant an epic scale and an epic budget. Um, This is a bit of a turn-off for uh, some studios and directors, mainly because there hadn't really been a successful Sword and Sandal film for a fair old while. So you had a bunch of them like Spartacus and uh, Ben-Hur and and whatever, but uh, there hadn't been a great one for a while. Uh, But then in 2000, Gladiator burst onto our screens, reviving a lost genre overnight. Winning five Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Actor for Russell Crowe, it prompted studios to greenlight the epics they had been so hesitant to make. Uh, so studios began to pursue Macquarie and Buckman's script more feverishly, with Universal winning the coveted prize. There was another hitch, though, because Macquarie wanted to direct this himself. Uh, this was before he would go on to direct, the, become the go-to guy to direct Mission Impossible films, and before he uh, directed his best mate, Tom Cruise, in the Jack Reacher films. Um, he had directed The Way of the Gun in 2000, but not exactly a knockout hit. I mean, I haven't heard of it. Have you heard of it? Nah, probably not. Uh, it wasn't until a bona fide star came on board that he decided, you know what? Maybe I'm not the person for this. And that star was none other than Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, Leo expressed his interest in the script and said he'd do it, but only if one of three directors would do it. And funnily enough, Macquarie was not on that list. One director that was, though, was Martin Scorsese, who he'd just worked with on Gangs of New York. And he would later go on to work with him on The Aviator, The Departed, and The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, Scorsese, he thought about it. He ummed an odd. And then he said yes. And so everything was set, except it wasn't. Because both Hollywood talents were incredibly, incredibly busy. 
Uh, Leo was finishing and catch me with you can. Uh, the uh, Steven Spielberg film with Tom Hanks, which is incredible. Uh, and then he was going straight into the aforementioned The Aviator, which would also prevent Scorsese from making a great Alexander film. Um, in the meantime, a multitude of other historical epics were going into production, including the Brad Pitt starring Troy, an arrival Alexander film starring Brad Pitt's wife at the time. Is he? Are they still married? I don't think so. Are they? I don't know. Who cares? Uh, Angelina Jolie, and Jolie was to play the mother of Colin Farrell's Alexander. Though, I mean, not at the same time, obviously, because they're about the same age. Um, film didn't have any major... This one, this uh, rival Alexander film, did not have any major hiccups, and so they were able to get the ball rolling pretty darn quickly. Uh, presumably so that the DiCaprio film could compete with the Farrell one, Scorsese stepped back from the director's chair. Maybe some studio influence. Maybe they were like, we want to make this film, so... Go away. Um, and DiCaprio went back to his list and put forward Baz Luhrmann, who he'd worked with on Romeo and Juliet and would again later work with on The Great Gatsby. Uh, now, Baz Luhrmann had signed, signed on, uh, having just finished his Red Curtains trilogy with Moulin Rouge in 2001. And just as DiCaprio brought on Luhrmann, Luhrmann brought on his Moulin Rouge uh star, I was going to say co-star, he wasn't starring in it, uh, Nicole Kidman to do battle with Angelina Jolie in the role of Alexander's mother. Uh, however, the director wasn't the only thing that changed in this new look DiCaprio project. I mean, his hair probably changed. I mean, DiCaprio is always changing his hair. He had that, like, curtains parting thing in the 90s when it is Titanic and then he's kind of gone for a kind of more typical thing and like a probably a side sweep and then it's kind of sweeping over the top now i don't know but um also a new script was ordered to be written by a guy called ted tally uh now tally actually brought the affable cannibal hannibal which is fun to say to the big screen with silence of the lambs and the prequel red dragon so he wrote the scripts for these um and they uh and those two films uh, actually, Just Red Dragon was also produced by Dino and Martha De Laurentiis, who also came on board to work on this Alexander film. Uh, and there seemed to be no hard feelings for Scorsese because, you know what, he was like, yeah, I'm, I will be a producer on this as well. I'll put my name to this. Um, so with all these cogs in place, the machine seemed to be able to get going, but there were still a few stumbling blocks. Uh, Leo was still starring in Scorsese's The Aviator, which was to be released in the same year as the other Alexander film, and Lerman wanted to revise Tally's script to include more of his early years. And on top of that, the initial production location of Jordan, the country of Jordan, not uh, jo uh, not Michael Jordan or uh, Jordan, the UK glamour model, uh, had to be moved, uh, though I think anyone would move uh, Jordan. You just want to move her out of wherever you are. Um, had to be moved to Morocco because of insurances, uh, insu not assurances, insurance, because of, I mean, Jordan's next to Iraq and there was stuff going on at the time and they were like, mm, we, we'll move it to Morocco instead. Uh, meaning that 4,000 new soldiers and 8,000 new horses had to be found and persuaded uh, to be used by the Moroccan army and government or whatever. Um, 
As you can guess, this meant that finding out which was going to be the best Alexander film would have to wait. And Lerman said, I am not going to be drawn into a race. I mean, everyone was like looking forward to it. There was stuff going back and forth. People were like, this is going to be great. Um, but didn't happen. Um, and so Lerman worked on his film in the background and let the Farrell-led Alexander take the centre stage. Um, but just as quickly as it came onto stage, it was then dragged off stage and shot in the back of the head because it had a score of 16% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 5.6 on IMDb. And it only made $167 million off of a $155 million budget, which is not good. Uh, because they'd need to have made, what, like $310 million to have broken even, which uh, they didn't. Um, this understandably made Universal hesitate about pursuing the Lerman project any further, and the fact that uh, the other big sword and sandal film from 2004, the Brad Pitt starring Troy, also bombed, didn't encourage them. Uh, so interest waned, everyone moved on, and, but... Uh, they did manage to reteam for a number of films in the future. Lerman and Kidman and the Hugh Jackman-led Australia. Lerman and DiCaprio and the updated classic The Great Gatsby. And Scorsese and DiCaprio on The Debaucherous, The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, and the sword and sandal genre has kind of gone the way of the Western, being few and far between. Uh, you had that Exodus, Gods and Kings, uh, the Ridley Scott one the other year, that was, meh, is what it was, would it? Uh, but yeah. I mean, it would have been interesting to see uh, two Alexander films, but let's face it, I haven't even seen one Alexander film. Uh, apparently, maybe mainly because it's no good. Apparently, there's like a like five different cuts of it, and apparently, like the final cut's supposed to be good, but I mean, whatever. Who who cares? Uh, that was a thing that happened. Um, there was a thing that happened and also a thing that did not happen. Um, well, let's move on to the final section of the show. And the final section of the show is Quickfic. And this is where I take one of 20 characters. I bung them in one of 20 different franchises and I go, you know, let's make a prequel, sequel, spin-off or a reboot of him. Um, it's all randomised. I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. But you know what? We're in it together. We'll, we'll come up with something, and it'll be good fun. So let's find out, first of all, what kind of film we're making. Are we making a prequel, sequel, spin-off, or a reboot? We're making a spin-off. We're making a spin-off of... The DCEU, or the Worlds of DC, I think it's supposed to be called now, with John Wick. Excellent. We're putting John Wick into the DCEU. We're making a spin-off. So... So you spin off the DCEU. Well, I mean, any sort of spin off of the DCEU is part of the DCEU now, I guess. So it's kind of like, I guess you could spin off, I don't know. I mean, you could spin off a Suicide Squad sort of thing and put him, get John Wick in the Suicide Squad. But again, that's just, I guess maybe you do a spin off and you do like, is this a. You could, it'll be a scouting mission. So, like, if they're assessing people to see if they'd be good for the Suicide Squad. And then you go, well, Deadshot's dead shot. Let's say that. Deadshot's dead shot. And so we need another bullet, bang, bang, shooty, shooty man. And they've gone, well, we've heard about this guy, 
who murdered a lot of people because they shot his dog. So, I mean, if we give him a dog... So what you could do, instead of putting a bomb in his neck, you could just give him a dog and then you just... And then you shoot it and say that they did it and then you go... And then he'll go and shoot them all for you. And that'd be great, wouldn't it? So they're like, let's go and scout this guy out. And so maybe you fo- it's a film following John Wick's adventures as he goes and... Uh, they give him a trial run, and they make him. They put him up against like a Deathstroke or someone. They they put him up against a, a villain, and they go, "Let's see what he does. Let's let's give him a dog. Let's shoot it and tell him they did it, and then we'll see." I think that'd be fun. That's uh, whatever. That's a thing that could happen. Um, there are some like in in the DC law in various places. There definitely is like pills that you can take to give you superpowers for like a day or whatever. Um, kind of like Project Power, that Netflix film, um, where they were like, yeah, you get five minutes of powers. Uh, so maybe you give him one of those and then you see what he does uh, and see whether you can utilize him. It definitely seems to be maybe he comes in as like a katana sort of role rather than like a like. He comes in as a, an external party and he's like, yeah, I'll be part of the Suicide Squad, but I don't need to bomb my neck. I'll just do it for... because for, I want to, because I like killing... like precisely killing people. Uh, I like doing some precise headshots and shooting people three times, no more, no less, um, and making sure they are dead. That's what I like to do. Um, and I think that'll be fun, and maybe you can get we get some uh, you get a you get a thing of the Continental in there, one of the Continental hotels. Maybe you get a I don't know, you get a bit of a melding of things. That would be kind of fun, wouldn't it? Um, but yeah, I think I think that'd be all right. I think that'd be good. Um, I would love to see that. That would be quite funny, especially if they do go the route of here's a dog, let's shoot it, off you go, or something like that. That would be interesting. Uh, but yeah. If you have any other ideas that you would like to see uh, with John Wick being spun off into the DCEU, let me know. Uh, you can do that uh, on Twitter at All at Walker or by email at filmmeuppod at outlook.com. And uh, this week, as I have been doing the, I was going to say, the, with the past few shows, um, I have been sneaking some words into the episode um so if you would like to uh, if you haven't been listening hard enough maybe you'd like to listen again and see if you can find out what those words are and i will let you know on twitter what those words are and i will also let you know on twitter what films i will be covering for alpha set v which will come out next week um because we are back on it. we're back on we're doing the rest of the alphabet we're going all the way to Z. Um, I actually got a lot further than I thought I would because um, I thought I would have to take a break earlier than I did. Um, so I was really impressed that I managed to get all the way up to T because it's a lot of weeks and a lot of work for one person to do. And uh, yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm quite proud of being able to do that. So uh, we're going to get all the way to Z. That's that's the aim. And we're going to and then I'm going to take a bit of a time off and then we're going to come back next year with more plans and more things because I'm not going anywhere and I hope you aren't either. Uh, once again, as always, thank you very much for listening. I really do appreciate uh, you listening and taking the time out of your day to listen to my ramblings of whatever it is we're talking about here. What is this nonsense? Who knows? Um, so, yeah. Thanks again, and I will see you next time. Bye. Bye.